Good morning, village. Happy almost Thanksgiving. We're about to stuff ourselves for a week and see what happens. It's this grand social experiment. A couple things before we dive into God's Word that I want to mention. In your worship folder, and you've heard us talk about this a lot, you're starting to see a lot of electronic information, an invite group coming, but in your worship folder is these cards that are invites to Living Nativity. And these cards are not for you. Um, so, okay, the, well, sort of. These, you all know when Living Nativity is. Half of you have already volunteered to come. And by the way, there is a volunteer sheet in your worship folder. We could use about 20 more volunteers. And so if you're able, especially if you want to, if you're willing to, to be brave and do a, a, a part with a line or two, and that's about it, but we'd love to have you. But actually, anywhere you want to help. But these are for you to invite other people. And if you want more of these, I'll give you as many as you need because we, we, we got a whole box of them. And so this is a chance to give to neighbors, to give to people you know at the grocery store or other places, to invite them to come out for a free tour through Bethlehem. And if you haven't been through it before, it's, it's really a lot of fun and um, very immersive and just a, a great chance to show the gospel story, the beginning of the gospel story, the birth of Christ to people that may not know Him. At the end, we share the gospel for each group of people. And so it's an exciting way to let people hear about the the Word of God and what God wants to do. So these are for other people. The other sheet, sign up. There's a basket in the back. Or you can just do the QR code. And online, that works great. And um, a chance to come together. This is an all-hands-on-deck event as we come together to share the gospel. So join us in that. As we, as we come to our text today, there's just a, a lot of fun things that we're going to see in the text today and a lot of challenging things. My hope is that it inspires us and challenges us to, to want to share the gospel, to want to walk in the Spirit. And if you're here today, I'll just say up front, and you don't know Christ, I hope it gives you an opportunity to know Christ, to know the best news that you will ever hear. And so we'll be studying in Acts chapter 3 today. The entire chapter, verses 1 to 26. And so I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right under the seats around you on those racks. I think every other seat has a a Bible there. Grab that. Turn to the book of Acts. And we're in chapter 3 today. As I was studying the chapter, I was reflecting back to um, something that happened very early on um, as I was taking missions trips and taking groups on missions trips. And we were going down to a village down in Tijuana, and this was our, our um, actually our third time there visiting the same village. And it was an interesting situation because we were helping plant a church there. But our first two times, we had seen almost no one come to Christ. And it was like, okay, what are we doing? Is this helping? And, and just trying to, to help this church reach their community, reach their neighborhood for Christ. And we just didn't see a lot of, of response. And I can remember on our second time there, um, one of their pastors got on our, our bus afterwards and said, and, and he quoted 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight that your labor in Christ is not in vain. And to keep going. He goes, you never know when the Holy Spirit's going to work. You just never know. So stay faithful and, and, and don't be discouraged. And it was a good word for, for um, a group of younger people. It was a hard word to hear. That's a hard lesson to hear, but it was a good word. And I can remember the third time we went and... We were there during the day, and during the day we usually would have some sports teams going and some children's ministry and some women's ministry. And 
the, the pastor there and a couple of the elders said, we'd like you to join us and do some house visitation to some of our people that can't come out. And, and I'm thinking, with all my Spanish, this will be great. Um, <laughs> how am I going to do this? But, but it was an opportunity to do God's work. So I said, okay. And, and I think listening to the Holy Spirit at that point in time. And what I didn't know is we were going to be going to some of the sickest people they had. And um, in one particular case, this house is someone that hadn't been to church in a year because they were, they were um, crippled and, and couldn't walk. And they, they were going in and, and the pastor's there and talked to me and says, we'd like you to lead a time through James 5 and pray for them and pray for their healing. And at the time, I, I had, um, quite frankly, not seen God work in, in amazing ways that often. And so I humored them, and I said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll follow God's word, but I don't know that this really works. I didn't say that to them. That's what I was thinking in my head. And, but, but James 5 says to do it, and I'm going to obey God's word whether I understand it or not. So we went in the house, and I remember gathering around this, this lady's bed, and um, we, we anointed with oil, as James 5 said. We each prayed for her. And we walked out after, after it was all done. And in my mind, again, I'm thinking, well, at least we obeyed God's word. That, that's what we've got. That night, we were doing a, a gospel presentation, a gospel service. And um, we were getting to, it was just starting, and there was this buzz in the room. I'm like, what is going on? And, and... I had no idea what was going on. And one of the pastors came over to me and said, do you, do you realize what's happening? And I said, nope. <laughs> a little clueless here. And they pointed out a person and they said, do you know who that is? I was like, nope. Um, and it, th- this person walking down the aisle was the person we had prayed for that day that hadn't walked in a year. And um, I actually didn't recognize her because she had, had cleaned up and uh, being bedridden for a year is, is a difficult thing. And... And that night, the gospel was shared, and it was powerful, and a, just a whole number of people accepted Christ that night. I cannot explain what happened, other than God was at work. It's the only explanation I have, because no one was, no, no one had a healing service. We weren't knocking people over backwards, or all we did was obey Scripture and pray, as Scripture said. And that night, this person was able to walk. And, and I didn't get into, okay, well, what if, what if she actually could and had never tried it? What if it was just the incredible? That didn't matter because she wasn't able to walk and then she was and people accepted Christ. Now, I, I share that at the beginning today with, with some fear to share that because it really rattled me to see that and started me helping me understand that we still have a God that can work in powerful ways. But what I don't want us to come away with this morning is Pastor Ron's going to do a healing service Sunday night because that's not what this is about. This is about God at specific times doing specific works to advance the gospel in His way, in His timing. That's what happened then. That's what our text is about. And so don't go away from the text today because a similar thing happens in the text today. We don't go away from the text today saying, if I could just lay hands on and heal someone, people are going to accept Christ. What we go away with is if I can identify where God is working and be part of it and give Him praise and glory, 
people will notice and come to Christ. That's the bigger principle of where we're going to go today. So I sort of just gave you the message today, but um, please, please still follow along and enjoy the story because actually this is a really fun story and, and a great story. And so we want to come to this story with a sense of awe. And, and like we talked about when we talked about prescriptive and descriptive, it's describing a situation and that happened then. And so it's not going to happen the exact same way. We don't all need to go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to preach the gospel. But what we can learn from it is the principles of how God's people were responding to the Holy Spirit, how God was working, and how God was growing His church. Those are the principles that I want to grab out of our text this morning. And so we're going to look at five different principles. And this is a cycle that actually we've already seen in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. We're going to see it again. Sometimes all five elements are in the cycle. Sometimes one or two may be missing or or merged. But we're going to see a cycle of how God is growing His church. How is God drawing people to Himself? How is He building His church? And the first part of the cycle is God's people listened to and followed the Holy Spirit's promptings. The Holy Spirit said something. God's people listened and said, okay, I'll do it even if it's out of my comfort zone. And so we come to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And we read this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And some of, some of the context is just really interesting. I think it's helpful too. Ninth hour would have been about 3 p.m. And what they had in the temple is they had at least two daily sacrifices. Some historians say maybe three, but it looks like there were two, one in the morning, one in the evening, and they would sacrifice cute little lambs and, and for, for sin sacrifices. And at the same time, there would be singing and praying in the temple. So this was a regular, ongoing act of worship in the temple. Now, right from the start, we see Peter and John were, were there. People, Peter and John are, are praying regularly. They are worshiping regularly. They are faithfully following God. And that's the kind of people God uses. Those that are seeking Him. Those that are faithfully following Him. And so they come for the, for the daily prayers. And a man, in verse 2, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So get the picture. There's this man, and some say maybe 30, 40 years old. We don't know. But this man is lame from birth. And so this is a man who has struggled with this trial from day one. And so we can't say that he did something to deserve this. But I think it's okay to ask the question, why did God allow this? And he allowed it for this day. For what he wanted to do on this day. And this man is being carried in. He can't even walk in on his own. And he's laid daily at the gate. I think it's ironic. It's called Beautiful Gate. And, and he's there to collect alms or to get donations. And one of the things with the Jewish religion is it was considered an act of piety. You could sort of earn credits, so to speak, by giving to the poor. And so one of the best places, if you were smart about your infirmity, go to the temple where people are trying to, to be religious, where they're trying to follow God, because one of their tenets is they should give to the poor. And so the guy's pretty smart in his placement. In fact, the rabbis of the time taught that there were three pillars of the Jewish faith. The Torah, worship, and showing kindness or charity. So this was one of their three pillars. 
And so he goes to where they're, they're, they are to worship. A man who's struggled with this all his life. A couple of other just thoughts that I think helped the story come alive. It was understood, and one of their rules were someone with physical deformities was not allowed in the temple. And so just as they couldn't sacrifice a lamb that had any physical deformities, that they believed was a sign of some other issues, and so they were not allowed in the temple. How long was he he lame for? From birth. So how many times had he been in the temple? None. This was a man excluded from worship. Excluded from normal community life in following God. I can't imagine the depth of how that must have felt. And so I I think that's part of why we're going to see the incredible response we see. Because this was such a dramatic thing. Now little did we know that this would be his last day there. His last day laying on the steps. Saying, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Wanted to throw up a picture. I don't know if I have that at this point, Jeremiah. Picture of the temple, just so we get um, some fun, fun ideas. Now, we don't actually know where the beautiful gate is. We have a good guess. But it, um, in, in his, um, historians' writings, it wasn't called that. But what we see here, this is the entire temple mount in Jerusalem. And you have the Gentiles' courtyard here and the eastern gate. And this here is Solomon's, Solomon's portico, or like a covered area, a long covered area, which is going to come up later in the story. We really think that this gate right here to the temple complex was probably the beautiful gate. So probably the gate that went from the court of Gentiles into the temple area, into this would be the, the court of women here. And so that's probably where he was. He wouldn't be allowed anywhere in this center portion. So Peter and John are coming and some, you know, it doesn't matter, but some say up the, um, the um, steps here. Some say over here. And so whether it's the southern steps or the eastern steps, we don't know. But they're coming into worship. They come through and they're about to enter here and that's where they, they encounter this guy. Some of you, none of those charts matters. I think they're sort of cool. So, so you get them. Um, okay, so that's the, the setup for the story, right? Guy laying there, despair, never been allowed to worship in the temple area. Um, asking for alms. This is his only way to, to gain a living. They didn't have a government social service. This was it. And Peter and John come up to him. And so we, we catch it in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Again, alms for the poor. Help me out. Alms, alms. And that's what he did. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And that is a fascinating start to the story because they made eye contact. What do you do when you're going to the grocery store and someone's asking for money outside and you don't want to give money? You either go in a different door or you don't make eye contact, right? When we were coming back across the border this last time at Rancho Santa Marta, and they have a lot of people selling a lot of really fascinating things at the border, and on the radios everyone's like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. And someone made eye contact. And that person wouldn't leave that car for like an hour. And they're bringing all this other stuff, all these blankets and other things. And, and um, some of you made eye contact with the food vendors and you ended up buying a lot of different food. <laughs> Jimmy. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, they're trying to wash the windows, which makes the windows worse. And, and it's like, just roll up the windows, don't make eye contact. 
So think about this in verse 4. Peter directed his gaze at him. There's an intentionality here. Peter looked at him. John looked at him. And they said, look at us. If you're layman, what are you thinking at this point? I'm getting money. Payday. They are looking at me. And so, and so he, in verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them. Of course. He, and so he looks back expecting to receive something from them. And then verse 6 is where it all starts to turn. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I have no money. You can picture his heart just go, oh, sort of what I was looking for. Um, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And do you get chills? When you start to picture the story, imagine the story. We need to use our imaginations here to, to put ourselves there. He, he looks at him, he looks back. I have no money, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And we'll get to what happens in a moment here. But this is the first step in the cycle. Peter and John were sensitive to what God was asking them to do. A couple things just to think about as we understand the context. This guy's lame from birth. He's on those steps every day. This is what he does. Peter and John, we know from even prior in Acts, they are worshiping in the temple most likely daily. This was probably not their first encounter. So what made them turn to him that day? What made them catch eyes that day? What made them engage? Because they didn't just heal everyone they came across. They hadn't healed him for weeks some, some think maybe months at this point. And the only answer we have is they were sensitive to God's leading. That they were listening to the Holy Spirit. That they were following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, something in their spirit stirred. The Holy Spirit in their spirit stirred. And they said, we need to talk to Him. Because God's going to do a work today. And so they followed the Spirit's prompting. And, and they obeyed here. They didn't just ignore it like, oh yeah, but I'm trying to get in there because the little lamb's going to be killed pretty soon. No, they, they didn't even stall. They said, no, this is what God is wanting me to do. I'm going to do it. And we've talked about this as we've talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts promptings in our heart. And if those promptings are in accordance with Scripture, that's a great test. That's an important test of that. Then we follow them. We act on them and see what God will do. And they did. Another, a couple of other things about this that I love. I just have loved the story this week. They just came off 3,000 people coming to the Lord from their sermon. They have this broad ministry. They're managing now 3,120 plus those that have accepted daily since then. They're managing 3,400, 3,500 Christians, new believers at this point. It's a broad ministry. And all of a sudden it comes down to one person. And isn't that the way Jesus loves us? He loves each person and He cares about each person coming into the kingdom. And so this is a reminder that our faith is personal, not just to us, but it's personal for every person God is drawing to Himself. And we need to pay attention to the people around us, to the individuals around us. Another fun thing there is is the verse in verse 6 says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What did they have? What does that mean? They had the Holy Spirit. 
They had salvation through Jesus Christ. And that is what they're offering him. A salvation that goes beyond physical healing, as we'll see this man ends up saying he has faith, and his faith is part of what healed him. What they had was a relationship with God. That is what they were offering here. And they did it through the means of a healing. God was offering so much more than this man was asking, wasn't he? This man was asking for a couple of coins. What he got on the first level was being able to walk. On a deeper level, he gained salvation for all eternity. God often offers us much more than we ask. We are so short-sighted in what we ask sometimes. And God as the loving Father says, Oh, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you if you trust me, if you follow me. And so this man, his disappointment when they said, I have no silver and gold, was about to turn into amazement. It was like going from, hey, we're going to downtown Disney to, hey, we're going to Disney World for a month and it's all free. It was about to turn into amazement. The other thing that's interesting to me is Peter and John here are about to deal with the root problem, not the symptoms. A couple of coins might have kept him going for a day. Healing him would change his life. Salvation would change his eternity. That is what we're dealing with here. And so we start with Peter and John getting out of their comfort zone, listening to the Holy Spirit, talking to a man they had probably seen every day, and entering a situation that was hard. But because the Holy Spirit said to. And, and so our, our first step is God's people listened to and followed the Holy Spirit's promptings. And this is how he's building his church. We're going to see the cycle builds on it. But our first question as a church, as village, how are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit this week? What might the Holy Spirit ask us to do that's out of our comfort zone? What might he want us to, who might he want us to talk to? And we can think of some of the normal places. Maybe it's someone at the grocery store. How many people have you go to the same grocery store? How many people have gotten to know some of the, the, maybe the workers there? Yeah. This is the week then to say, hey, anything I can pray for you about? I know it's a busy week with Thanksgiving. You're probably just inundated at a grocery store. It's probably a zoo here. Anything I can pray about and encourage you this week? Let's start listening to the Holy Spirit. Let's start looking for the Holy Spirit to work and looking for those opportunities. You know, there's all kinds of places. Maybe there's a a person that's hurting at work and the holidays are coming up which are not easy for someone that's hurting. Maybe it's someone that you know that has had loss this year and the Holy Spirit is saying, come alongside them this, this, this holiday season. Because Thanksgiving and Christmas are really hard times when you've had loss. Maybe someone, maybe, maybe you're out at a mall or a park or something and you see a young mom with screaming kids, which never happens. And maybe you just go sit by her if you're, if you're a lady. Maybe you go sit by her and say, hey, yeah, I have kids too. It's hard. Can I pray for you? Can I help you watch your kids? I don't know what it is. But I am convinced, especially as I read this and as I've meditated on this week and, and as I watch what God is doing at Village, because I'm watching this already happening. And so I like to see where God is working and then join in, right? And, and God is already prompting people to work by the Holy Spirit. We've talked about some of that. But I am convinced that He wants to do this this week and this text is intentional for this week. 
that he wants us as a believer, as believers, as a body of Christ to make a difference for him this week. And that if we ask the Holy Spirit to, he will show us ways to do that. Maybe it's engaging with the family member that we can't stand on Thursday. I I don't know what it is, but these are divine appointments that I know God has for this this week. And actually, I'm just going to stop and pray for us right now. And pray that we will be sensitive to those divine appointments this week, as Peter and John were. Lord God, we, we are your sons and daughters. And Lord, we want to see people saved. We want to see people discipled. We want to see your kingdom grow. And so this week, Lord, show us how we can be part of that. Show us divine appointments, ways that we can engage people and make a difference in their lives, that we can be just elements of, of hope, and healing in their lives. Lord, I pray that we would listen to the Holy Spirit, that we would actively seek to hear you rather than wait for you to hit us over the head with opportunities. Lord, help us to to see you alive and working and well this week and come together next week and be just so excited about what you're doing. Lord, help us to see that this week in your name. Okay, point number one, God's people listened to and acted on the Holy Spirit. They obeyed. So then we get to the second part of this this, um, cycle. And this is the simple one. It's only verse 7. God worked. God did a work, right? And so when we listen to Him, when we act in faith, when we step out of our comfort zone and as the Spirit's leading, God will do a work. And again, I'm not saying by this that we're going to go out and heal every person that can't walk. But God will do a work of bringing people into the kingdom, of bringing relationships, of letting us restore people. You know, again, I've heard so many stories from so many of you of how God already has used the the promptings of the Holy Spirit to work. In this case, it was a healing. Verse 7, And he took him, he being Peter, took him, the layman, by the right hand and raised him up. If you've been lame your whole life, you really don't even know how to walk. Okay? And so this is all foreign. And so Peter helps him up and touches him and and he he lifts him up, raised him up, and immediately, I love that, his feet and ankles were made strong. And so God did a work like that. And he healed this man. And he can walk for the first time, which, by the way, means he can worship in the temple for the first time. This is huge. Because Peter and John listened to God. And in fact, we're going to see, he clarifies, this isn't even their strength. He says he does this by the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a couple of of fun things. We know from from the beginning of Luke and earlier when we studied that that the Gospel of Luke, of Acts, sorry, the Gospel of Luke was about the work of Christ. The the episode 2, Acts, is about the church carrying on that work. This is a signature event of probably several that shows the church carrying on the work of Christ. That now Christ Jesus has passed the baton to his people and they now are carrying on some of his miracles. And miracles here were, and and miracles throughout the New Testament, they were always used as a sign by God to either confirm the gospel or open doors for the gospel. They weren't about making someone famous. They weren't about making someone rich. 
they weren't as, as common as we think they are because we study them. And they were something that would happen pretty rarely at a moment in time when God was making inroads with the gospel. And that's how we have to understand miracles here. And that's what's happening. God is building a brand new church, a brand new work. And he heals this man. Imagine what he's thinking as he stands up for the first time. Excitement? Maybe. We're going to see. But this is amazing. And so then in verse 8, we get the third step of the cycle. First, listen to the Holy Spirit. Obey, follow his prompting. Second, God works through that. He works through that. Third, praise and thanksgiving erupted. Verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Again, that's a significant phrase. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He's running, do you know I can walk now? And he's probably testing his feet a little bit. And I'm not going to do any dancing, but he, he is... Um, This is the first time and he's excited and he's telling everyone and he's praising God. What a great verse for Thanksgiving, by the way. What a great verse for Thursday. All week. Surely we, we don't limit our Thanksgiving to one day. But what has God done that we can praise Him for? And, and part, of, part of our applying this is what do we know that, that God has done? Be prepared Thursday to know what God has done in your life. And I don't just mean saying things like, oh, I have a nice car. Oh, I have a nice job. I have a nice house. Those are great. Those are blessings of God. But let's get a little realer than that and say, what has God done in your life? What is supernatural? How has He changed you? How has He comforted you? What has He done? In this case, this man was lame from birth and that became the canvas on which we see God's glory painted. And usually when we have troubles and trials in life, that's a canvas that God paints His glory on. That's an opportunity. And so around the Thanksgiving table, I know, I know it's common and I love the question, don't stop, what are we thankful for? But let's go deeper this year and say, what are we praising God for? And, and go beyond, I have a good family. Go beyond and try to get real. Okay, and this is going to take some thought. It it can't be a throwaway question. But some thought to say, okay, what has God actually done in my life? And and there may be opportunities to reflect just on salvation. Just on where we would be without Jesus. There may be opportunities to say, this is how he's helped me through these difficulties. This is why I can still smile. This is why I can still have joy. Joy. Because God is a great God, and He's at work, and He knows what He's doing. This is how I can still smile after loss of a family member, or, or you know, we, we've had a number of funerals recently. Those are opportunities to say, this is how God is at work. Let's take those opportunities this week. And so we see this man, this is thankfulness to the extreme, walking and leaping and praising God, and it just gets better and better as we go through the steps And so let's not miss how God is working in our lives. Step number three in this cycle, we listen to the Holy Spirit, God works, the people that are involved praise and thank God. And then step number four is people noticed. People noticed and were amazed and curious. And these steps are not... uh, 
they're not anything that you'd be like, wow, I never thought about that. But we don't think about it. When we give praise to God, when we get excited about what God has done, when we give thanksgiving, when we turn conversations back to who God is, people are going to notice. When we live for God in a way that is countercultural, people are going to notice. And they're going to be amazed and they're going to be curious. Verses 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. How long had the guy been lame for? His whole life, right? Where was he every day? Steps of the temple. Everyone knew him. Everyone knew what, what his problem was. And they're in now the temple worshiping and they're like, wait, wait. Isn't that George? He's walking. He's jumping. He's acting a little crazy. He's walking. He's jumping. And he's praising God. And they noticed. All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. That's him. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, if you, if you want to draw in your Bible, you can. If not, this verse, this story actually goes back to what we studied last week. The summary of the church was God was doing signs and wonders through the church and people were in awe and amazed. And Luke masterfully follows that summary with an example of how that happened. And the wording for, for the awe and the wonder and amazement is the same as chapter 2. And so he's like, yeah, I said this is what the church was happening. You might not believe me. Here's how it's happening. Here's a specific way that you can be part of it. The they there in verse 10, that probably means the non-believers that were around. The people watching, the people that knew George, and the people that are now seeing him in the temple, they're like, what happened? What happened? And so they're not in a relationship with God yet. They haven't accepted him, but the door's open now. The door's open. And so we see God using his work, using the response, using the people that are watching the response as a way to advance the gospel. Just a a side note again to motivate us this Thanksgiving. How did God do this? Through a thankful and praising heart. Through a thankful and praising heart. You have a choice this week as you get together with family. I have a choice this week as I get together with family. Am I going to complain? Am I going to be annoyed? Am I going to talk politics? Which leads to complaining and being annoyed? Or am I going to be a life-bringing person that shows who Jesus is? Am I going to be thankful? I'm going to focus on what I'm thankful on. Our tone, our attitude village makes a difference this week to how attractive the gospel is to people, how open the door is. One author, Isaac Walton, said, God has two dwellings, one in heaven and the other in a thankful heart. And while my own theology that God is omnipresent would say, "Ah, I'm not sure about two dwellings. I understand what he's trying to say. One in heaven, his presence there, his home there, but he also has a home in a thankful heart. A home in someone that is willing to praise and willing to give him glory. And so we've seen the first four steps of the process. Someone responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, what God wanted them to do. God works. People people give praise and credit. They're a people of thanksgiving. This man is a man of thanksgiving. And God uses that 
to make people wonder what's going on around. There are all kinds of ways we can make people wonder at what God is doing. And they just aren't as hard as we think. You don't have to go heal a lame man to have a witness this Thanksgiving. Here's the thing. What if people come and let's say you're married. I know not everyone here is married, but let's say you're married and you come to a family activity and every time you come together, they see you loving and respecting each other. What if every time they see you caring for each other, which is rare in our world today? What if they know that you've had disagreements and they know that you have struggled, but they know that you are committed to working it out because of your deep love for each other that comes from Jesus Christ? Oh, that's going to make people wonder what's going on and why you're different. But we can't just stop there at why we're different. God worked through His church to heal, to impart the power of God on others, but then to bring joy and to bring awe. So we get to the fifth step. And the rest of the passage is the fifth step. Some of you are looking at how much is left and how far we've gone. The fifth step is doors are open for the gospel. Go through them. Doors are open for the gospel and go through them. The, the first four steps, I don't want to say they're meaningless, but they lose all the impact of what God is trying to do if we're never willing to share the gospel. If we're never willing to go there and say why we are different, why we have a hope. And so we get to verse 11 and we see doors are open for the gospel. Now catch what's happening here. And we'll go through Peter's sermon here. While he, being the layman, clung to Peter and John, he's he, he not letting go. He, he's, he's pretty appreciative of these guys. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And that's that outer area. of it. This is on the east wall of the Temple Mount, about 300 yards long, three, three football fields, this huge area, probably where the disciples taught possibly where Jesus taught in the temple. So they retreat from the beautiful gate. They get back to the Solomon's portico and people are mobbing them. They're like, what is going on? This guy's jumping around. He's clinging to them. Maybe they're dragging him along. No, I don't know. But um, it's this scene of God doing something. And, and I've got to tell you, when we obey the Holy Spirit, it becomes this scene that, that people are like, it doesn't make sense. Some of you have helped people you don't even know. And they're like, why did you do that? The Holy Spirit told me to. And they can't get it. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful because that opens the door to say why. So, so he's clinging to Peter and John. They go back to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, catch that first phrase, when Peter so he sees what's going on. He reads the room and says, this is an opportunity. And Peter, at this point, I love it. You know, we, we see a lot of impetuousness in the Gospels. At this point, he's using that like, let's tell them about Jesus. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And he took advantage of this opportunity. And it's a reminder that when opportunities open, take them. Take them. Even if you're going to be late to a family function, if you have an opportunity to share the Gospel, do it. Don't Step away from those. Now, Peter didn't say, didn't say I, you know what? I'm glad you guys are asking. I need to run back, prepare a sermon. I'll be back tomorrow. No, he was ready. As, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer, a reason for the hope that is in you. And he was ready, and he just dives right in here with the gospel. 
And so it, we read that in verse 12. When Peter answer, saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made them walk? And so he starts to address the misconception that somehow they're magicians. And, and he says, why are you looking at it? And, and he's going to go through three parts of sharing the gospel, three parts of actually any sort of argument or any, any lesson that we give that are important. He's going to capture their attention, identify the need, and tell them what they need to do. So the first thing, he captures their attention. Why are you staring at us? Hey, what's going on here? And then he clarifies in verse 13. This is still sort of drawing them in. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who all the Jews there would have been like, yeah, that's our God. The God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, uh whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release them. It was going well until Jesus came into the picture. But he got their attention, and now in the second half of 13, he's going to identify the need. He's going to confront their sin and reveal their sin. Village, if I can just say this as we dive into this, we cannot share the gospel and ignore the word sin. The very need for repentance, the very need for Jesus, requires us to understand that we are sinners. And we can't save ourselves. And we need a Savior. We don't need a Savior if we don't need to be saved. And so Peter knows that. And so the second part of it is he identifies the need and he reminds them of their sin. And this can feel very awkward to us. We're like, wow, he's being bold. But he's reminding them of truth. And so he says, glorified his servant Jesus. God is working through his son Jesus Christ. His servant is actually very intentional here that he uses servant because he's going to quote passages from Isaiah 52 and 53 from the servant Psalms. Or it's not Psalms, but the servant um, prophecies there. The suffering servant. And so he's going to use their favorite book and he's going to show that they killed Jesus. And so he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob glorified his servant Jesus, which is quoting Isaiah 52, almost directly. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of our fathers, or in the presence of Pilate, rather, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Whoa. He just said, you delivered, you denied, and you killed. And by the way, the one you did that to is the one Isaiah 52 and 53 was prophesying about. And you missed it. And then he uses some rich theological language. Did you catch the description there of Jesus? Look at the theology. He's called the Holy and Righteous One. The one that is without sin. The one, and he's, he's pointing out, this is the man that didn't deserve it. Completely holy, completely righteous. This is who you attack? By the way, you let a murderer go instead. Are you nuts? Okay, maybe my tone isn't the one he was using. But he's pointing out what's going on. He's pointing out that they are sinners. And they had turned their back on Jesus. And they had turned their back on God. He goes on and uses another name for Jesus, the author of life, which they would have understood as God is the creator of life. And so 
Peter here is marvelously showing them Jesus was the Messiah, he was God, and that's who you rejected. And then he goes on to say, and, and, and by the way, God's the one who raised him from the dead. He's not still dead, and we are witnesses to that. And so he brings the resurrection in to show this was the Messiah, and death and sin are defeated. I, I love this because sometimes people think the early church were sort of dolts when it comes to theology. This is rich theology. This is the, the names are rich there. The understanding that Jesus was holy and sinless and right with God. The understanding that we are not and that through Jesus' sacrifice, that's how we gain that righteousness. This is all packed in this text. So the early church was doing some great thinking about theology right from the start. But this is the final part of Peter reminding them of their sin. Verse 16 goes on. And his name, by faith in his name, Jesus, so, and Jesus' name, by faith in Jesus' name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the idea is, you know he's been weak. You know him. But Jesus, by faith in his name, his power and authority. Whenever you see name, think of a person's reputation, power, and authority. This is who Jesus is. And that faith in Jesus is what has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, most scholars, and I agree with them out of this, we, it really looks like this man not only was healed physically, but he was healed spiritually and came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's really the only way, especially the second half, to, to read this verse. Um, the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. And so God does a work. Peter then uses the open door as an opportunity to share the gospel. Captures their attention, but then identifies the need. You're sinners. You're sinners. But he doesn't stop there. And this is, this is beautiful. He doesn't stop there because now the third part of any good gospel presentation, you get the attention, share the need, now you give the solution. Gives the solution. Now what do you do? He doesn't just bludgeon them with their sins and say, have a good day. We're back to Bethany. He gives a solution. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, tying back to Isaiah, the suffering servant, and Christ there being a Messiah, that his Messiah would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. And he starts by saying, so 17, 18 there, he's saying, you didn't realize what you, what you did. It doesn't excuse it, but you didn't understand he was the Messiah. You didn't understand the plan of salvation. This was fulfilled. This was God's plan all along. But where he's going with it is you didn't understand, but now you do. So now you better respond correctly. And he's pointing it out. He's laying it out to them. Yeah, the gospel was foolishness to them before it was revealed by Christ. Before it was revealed by God. Just as we know in in 1 Corinthians 1, the gospel is foolishness to all of us until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and gives us a chance to respond or reject. And here, Peter is opening their eyes to what they had done. And then 19, he says, here's what you do. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent, meaning to turn around, acknowledge what you've done wrong, and change. Repent isn't just saying, yeah, I was wrong, so sorry. 
Repent includes a change of action, a change of heart, a complete turning around. One little Sunday school girl said, it means feeling sorry enough to quit. I think there's some merit there. There's some truth in there. Sorry enough to change. It's not sorry I got caught. It's not sorry that I don't like the consequences. It's I'm wrong and I'm going to change. So Peter says, repent therefore. Turn, turn to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Turn back. And then he says, the result of that is that your sins may be blotted out. They may be completely removed from the equation. Completely paid for. Completely forgiven. That debt is canceled and it is done. One author said the list of accusations will be obliterated. If I could have used obliterated in the sermon title, I would have. What a great word for what happens to our sins when we come to Christ. They are completely paid for. They are obliterated. He will not hold them against us. This, these are word, this is wording of forgiveness. And God's forgiveness is always fully, freely, and forever for us. And then he goes on to give two things that that forgiveness results in. That when we come to Christ, we experience forgiveness of sins. That guilt is gone. Don't let Satan continue to hold those things over us. But then he gives two, two more benefits of that or two more responses as we go on and read. The first is that there will be refreshing. And so we see in verse 20 that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing with renewal. And this is referring to both when Jesus returns, but it's referring to now. When we know that our sins are paid for and that guilt is gone because we've turned to Christ, that is as refreshing as it gets. That is a weight being torn off our back that we don't have to carry anymore. If you don't know Christ and you are struggling with what is going on in life and in this world and the weight of it, Jesus is saying, repent, turn to me, give your sins to me. I will forgive you, but then I will take that burden. And it will be refreshing. That relief from the cruel shackles of sin is what he's offering. We all have days where we need some refreshing. And it's a reminder to go back to the forgiveness of sins and what God has done. Then we go on from verse 20 to the second benefit, the second half of 20. So we have the refreshing. And then the second half, that He may send the Christ or the Messiah appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. And so he's saying the second half is Jesus is going to come back. He's going away for a while. He's, he's with the Father in heaven for a while. But this is perfect refreshing until He returns. This is a promise that Jesus is coming back. That we have hope. We have life with Him that we're looking forward to. He will come back and restore all things to Himself. That's the big picture. God is reconciling creation to Himself through Jesus Christ. It's the story of the Bible. And for those who believe, and today I just have to be clear, for only those who believe, this forgiveness, refreshing, and hope of a future is offered. And today, if you're watching online or if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, what he's offering is so incredible. He's offering forgiveness of sins if we will acknowledge them and turn ourselves to him. Don't, don't end today without checking that out at least. Without understanding the life that Jesus is offering and the change 
that he can have in your life. And so the last four verses there, it's a call to respond. And Peter is using some things from their own prophets to say, now's the time. Respond. And he starts with Moses. He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. What he's saying, this was confusing to me at first, but what he's saying is Moses prophesied Jesus would come. Someone like a deliverer like Moses. And if you don't listen to him, there's problems. I'm putting that in my own own words. But he's saying Moses predicted it. But if you don't listen, that person will be removed from the people, destroyed from the people. And he's making a call to say, accept Christ. Because if you don't, you're removed from the blessing. You're removed from that. And he goes on then to say in verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken, not just Moses, all the prophets from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days that they told you the Messiah was coming. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And he ends with this, God having raised up his servant, sent you, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And this is a call and, and, and to, to in, in 30 seconds or less, this is an offer because Jesus came first to the Jews. He came first to, to his people. But as they rejected and as they didn't accept, that call in Acts now is going to spread to the Gentiles. Now, all along, the plan was for Gentiles to be saved. That's the Abrahamic covenant there. In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But this is a call to say, this is your chance to be that blessing to others. This is your chance to be part of what God is doing and not be left out. Take it. Take it now. And so for us, the call is, this is our chance to get on board with what God is doing with His church. This is our chance for salvation. This is our chance to listen to the Holy Spirit. This is our chance to be a blessing to Garden Grove, to Orange County. Will we take it? The result, just to give you a little teaser for next week, the result of this sermon, Acts 4.4, verse 4 of the next chapter. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. We were at 120. Then we jumped to 3,000 more, 3,120. Now we're at 5,000 men, which means there were a lot more followers. God's church is exploding, village. God's doing something. In this case, because as people listened to the Holy Spirit and acted, God did a work. Praise and thanksgiving was the result. A lost world noticed and wondered what was going on, and someone stepped up to share the gospel. That's the cycle that we're going to see over and over in Acts. That's what we're to learn, and that's what we're to be. I'd like worship team to come up, and we'd like to end with a song about the gospel, about God's mercy to us, about his, his offer for us of repentance. And if you know Jesus, sing this with, with gusto at what he's done. If you don't know Jesus, listen to the words. Come talk to me afterwards, and let's take care of that today. Because it'll be the best thing you ever do. Let's stand and worship our Lord. We praise you because our sins are many, but your mercy was more. We just sang that, Lord, and what better foundation for Thanksgiving week 
than understanding that you're, you have blotted away every one of our sins if we follow you. If we repent and come to you, they are all gone. They are all paid for. We don't have to struggle with the guilt for that because your mercy is more. Because you paid the price. And so, Lord, make us a thankful people, a praising people, because this is the best gift that we could ever have. Help us to act like that this week and make a world wonder what is going on with those people. We give you thanks and we give you praise, God, in your name. Amen.